Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Rockbrook Church, I'm so glad to be able to speak to you today. I love you. I miss you. I've been praying for you. And I hope that you have been growing in Christ uh, during this difficult season. We're in part two of a sermon series called When Faith is Hard, based on the life of an Old Testament prophet named Elisha. Last week, Pastor Ryland introduced the series, and he talked about faith that moves, leaving behind anything that would keep us from following God and moving ahead in faith. This week, we're looking at faith that works. I'm asking God to build the faith of our church, to build it greater than it has ever been before, because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Uh, How many of you have ever played the if-only game? If only I had a better job, my life would be better. If only I had more money. If only I had more hair, or at least hair in the right places. A single lady might say, if only I had a husband. A married lady might say, if only I had a husband with a job. Another might say, if only I had a husband with a job who looked like Brad Pitt. I don't know what your if only is, but we all tend to think, if only I had whatever it is, my life would be so much better. I want you to listen to this message today through the lens of your if only, through the lens of your greatest need. Because I'm praying that God will meet your need in a very special way today. Let me set the background for our study today. There were three kings, the king of Israel, the king of Edom, and the king of Judah named Jehoshaphat. And these three kings joined forces to destroy the king of Moab. It was three kings against one, so they thought, we're going to win an easy victory here. But often in life... Things don't go as planned. Anybody want to give a testimony about that? You think you've got it all figured out, and whoops, your plans go awry. I had everything figured out, and boom, COVID-19. That's what happened with these three kings. They planned an easy victory, but it didn't go that way. Instead of winning easily, they found their troops stranded in the desert completely out of water. Their men are about to die of thirst. Their animals are about to die of thirst. They have a very significant need. And this story teaches us this principle. Your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Your greatest need becomes a great blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Our story begins in 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for their animals with them. Uh-oh, they're in trouble. What? exclaimed the king of Israel. I love that what. They thought they had an easy victory. And now their plan has fallen apart. And who do they blame for their predicament? What? 
Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? We thought we'd win easily, but now God has screwed up our plans. We don't see them asking God if they should do this in the first place. They just set out on their own to do it. And now that it turns out to be a bad idea, they blame God and expect him to bail them out. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here, through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. There it is, right there in the Bible. Wash your hands. Elijah was a great prophet who did great and miraculous things. Elisha is his apprentice. Elisha is Elijah's successor. So Jehoshaphat thinks, well, maybe Elisha can help us. And that made sense, because when the nation of Israel was in a great drought, Elijah called on God for help, and God sent rain from a cloud that started out the size of a man's hand, but then grew into a great storm that watered the whole land. So these three kings think, well, if Elijah could make it rain, then maybe Elisha can make it rain. Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with Elisha. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. The three kings go out to battle the Moabites and think they're going to win easily, but instead they find themselves out of water and in dire need. And the problem with these three kings was that they were not serving God. They were serving themselves. They did not seek God's guidance regarding this war, and now they're in trouble they want God's help. Oh no, we're in trouble. Is there anybody who's really in good with God? Is there anybody who can do a little rain dance for us and save us? Someone who can pull some spiritual strings. Maybe Elisha, the prophet, can help us out. Now Elisha has done some miracles of his own. He parted the waters of the Jordan River. He spoke to a polluted spring of water, of poisonous water and healed the water so that you could drink from it. When a gang of hooligans were threatening him and, and making fun of his bald head, Elisha summoned two bears out of the woods to eat his attackers. I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. You need to read the Bible. And you should never make fun of a guy with a bald head. I'm just saying. So the kings of ask Elisha, can you help us out? And how does Elisha respond? He responds with a little bit of attitude. Elisha says, uh, Okay, kings, you ignored God and went out on your own, and now you're in trouble and you want God's help. And he cops an attitude. He learned this from his mentor, Elijah. Uh, Elijah was the king of attitude. Uh, one time Elijah went up against 450 false prophets of the false god Baal. And Elijah said, let's have a little contest here to see whose God is real, whether God is real or Baal is real. And we'll each build an altar, and we'll get two bulls, and you sacrifice a bull on your altar uh, to Baal, and I'll sacrifice an, a bull on my altar to the living God. And then you call on Baal to send down fire and consume your sacrifice. 
And I'll call on God to send down fire and consume my sacrifice. And we'll see whose God answers. And so the false prophets of Baal sacrificed their bull, placed it on the altar, and started praying to Baal. Send fire, send fire, send fire. Nothing happens. They work themselves up into a frenzy, crying out to Baal. They even begin to cut themselves so that they uh, draw blood to get Baal to act. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. And Elijah starts laughing and mocking these false prophets. Maybe you ought to shout louder. Maybe Baal's hard of hearing. Maybe Baal's deaf. Maybe Baal's gone on vacation. Maybe Baal's in the bathroom and can't hear you. I'm not making this up. It's in your Bible. Read it. Now, Elisha does what Elijah did. He cops a bit of an attitude in verse 13. Elisha said to the king of Israel, Why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. You hear his attitude? He's bringing a mama into it. He says, why don't you go ask your mama? Go to her prophets. No, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. He's still blaming God. Elisha said, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I didn't have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. The king of Israel was not a good king, not a godly king. The king of Edom was not a good king. He was not a godly king. But Jehoshaphat had been a pretty good and faithful king, a godly king. And so Elisha says, if it weren't for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even pay attention to you other two. But because Jehoshaphat's here, I'll help you out. You need a prophet, I'll be your prophet. And then in verse 15, Elisha makes a demand. He says, now bring me a harpist. If you want me to prophesy, I need some worship music. Get somebody to play me some music if I'm going to prophesy. Now that seems funny at first glance. But this was not an uncommon practice for prophets to do. There's something about worshiping God through music. God inhabits the praises of his people. And there's something special that happens when you turn your heart toward God in adoration, praise, and worship. You want to hear from God? Turn your heart toward God in worship. You want to pray for something big? Worship helps your faith grow, and it connects you to God. So Elisha says, bring me a harpist. Now the three kings think, this is great, because Elisha is going to tell God to send rain. The harp music's playing. Uh, This is going to be good. But does Elisha give them a word of encouragement? No. Instead, he gives them a ridiculous command. In verses 15 and 16. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. 
And the kings are like, wait, 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 wait. We thought God was going to make it rain. Our troops are about to die of thirst. Our animals are about to die of thirst. And now you want them to do manual labor under the hot desert sun. Elisha says, yes, I want them to dig ditches, irrigation ditches, to trap water. Because your greatest need becomes your greatest blessing when it drives you to depend on God. For this is what the Lord says, You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. God says, I'm not going to make it rain here. I'm going to make it rain somewhere else and then bring the water here to you through the ditches that you have dug. So dig me some ditches. God's ways aren't my ways. God's ways aren't your ways. God doesn't always meet the need the way we think he will or should. God does it his way. And look at this. He says, this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. You have no idea how powerful, how strong, how mighty God is. At the snap of a finger, God can do this. And by the way, the other thing you wanted, you know that whole defeating Moab thing? He will also deliver Moab into your hands. But first, I want you to dig some ditches. We're talking about faith that works, faith that does something. Faith that believes that God is going to act, so we act. We take a step toward God, believing that God is going to take a step toward us. Two principles of faith that works. First, only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. James 2.26, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Only God can send the water, but he wants to see your faith. Did the God of the universe really need these guys to dig ditches? I mean, he didn't need them to do that. But he's saying, you show me your faith, and I'll show you my faithfulness. Because God loves to see our faith. You know, in the Gospels, you see it over and over again. When Jesus saw their faith. Now, how do you see faith? If I'm praying, how do you see my faith? If I'm praying, do you see little faith smoke rising up off the top of my head? No, you don't see that. You see faith in my actions. When Peter was in the boat and saw Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee, he said, Jesus, tell me to come and I'll come. And Jesus said, come. What did Peter do? He got out of the boat. The other 11 disciples stayed in the boat. You didn't see their faith the guy that got out of the boat, you could see his faith. God wants us to participate in his miracles. In the Gospels, there's a man with a withered hand. What does Jesus say to him? He says, stretch out your hand. I mean, Jesus could have just healed his hand, but he said, I want to see your faith, so stretch out your hand. There's a lame man who couldn't walk for 38 years. Jesus tells the man, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. I'm going to heal you, but I'm not going to pick you up. 
I want to see that you have the faith, so get up. There was a guy who was blind from birth. Jesus picks up some dirt and spits into it and makes some mud and smears the mud on the guy's eyes. And then he says, go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. God says, show me your faith and I'll show you my faithfulness. Too many people want God to show them his faithfulness, but they're not willing to show God any faith. They're not willing to act, to move, to to step out in faith. You want to quit smoking? Throw your cigarettes in the garbage and say, I'm showing some faith. I'm getting rid of these things. I'm digging a ditch by faith. You want to heal a damaged relationship? Forgive someone before they even ask for forgiveness. Treat someone with love when they're being ugly to you. What are you doing? You're digging a ditch. You want your kids to serve Jesus and be strong Christians? Well, watch the Rockbrook for Kids video with your kids. Read the Bible. Pray with your kids. You want some spiritual water in your kid's life? Dig some ditches. Be a godly parent. You want God to bless your finances? Then tithe. Give God the first 10% of whatever you make. Tithing demonstrates faith. Our dependence on God. You're digging a ditch. And in response, God demonstrates his faithfulness. If we give God our first and our best, he will bless the rest. Those of you who are tithers, you know 90% with God's blessing goes further than 100% without it. What are you doing when you tithe? What are you doing when you give? You're digging a ditch. Single guys, you want to get married. You're sitting at home waiting for some babe to knock on your door. Hey, handsome, take me to church or lose me forever. And God looks at you and he's going, brush your teeth, iron a shirt, sell your Xbox, get a job and move out of your mom's basement and then start going to church. You know, only God can send the babe, but you've got to brush your teeth. You're digging a ditch. The second principle on your notes. Real faith believes big, but is willing to start small. Too many Christians are not thinking big enough. We serve a God who can do exceedingly and abundantly more than all you can ask, think, or imagine. It's time to think big. Because we serve a big God. But when you think big, you've got to be willing to start small. How do you dig a ditch? One shovelful at a time. You start small. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see work begin. You got a big vision? Where do you start? You start small. You start with what is in front of you. Only God can send the water, but he wants you to dig the ditches. You say, God, I believe you can do great things. And then you start where you are with what you have, and you begin to do the small things that you can do, trusting that God will do the big things that only he can do. You know, how do you dig a ditch? One small shovelful at a time, over and over again. Because God loves it when we participate in his miracles. Because then he can see our faith. 2 Kings 3.20 It 
says, the next morning, about the time for the offering of the sacrifice, there it was. There it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. You have a significant need in your life, and you think, if only God would meet my need, if only God would answer my prayer. Your greatest need becomes your biggest blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Only God can send the water, but he wants you to dig the ditch. Real faith believes big, but is willing to start small. I pray, I pray for a church full of people who think big, but start small and step out in faith. As I close today, I want to ask you three questions. Question number one, what is your if only? What is your greatest need that can become your greatest blessing if you depend on God? And I would encourage you to identify the need and make a conscious decision to turn it over to God. Identify it, name it, and make a decision about it. Jesus asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? Answer that question. Question two is, what ditch do you need to start digging? What action is God asking you to take to demonstrate your faith? Jesus told the lame man, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus told Peter, get out of the boat. Elisha told the kings, start digging ditches. What ditch do you need to start digging? And question three is, what small step can you take today? Don't be afraid to start small. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. What's the groundbreaking small step that you need to take? It's time to dig a ditch. Let's pray together. God, I pray for those who are in need today. I, I hurt with them. And we thank you that, that you know their need and you care about their need. And God, you are working in every life even though we may not see it or feel it. And so we put our faith in you. God, it would be great, a great honor for us to show our faith to you again and again. When you ask us to do something that is difficult or, or makes no sense to us, it may be to forgive someone that seems unforgivable. It may be to love someone that seems unlovable or, or to give when we feel like we're the one in need. God, whatever form of ditch you call us to dig, we acknowledge today that only you can do the miracles. But you call us to have the faith to dig the ditch. And God, today, we, we call on you. We call on you to save us. For some, it's the first time ever that we've called on your name. But Scripture says that, that we are made right with God, not by good works, but by putting our faith and trust in Christ, by calling on the name of Christ. And for some of you, it's time for you to put your faith in God. It's time for you to trust in Jesus Christ to save you. It's time to dig that ditch, to take that saving step of praying this prayer. Would you just pray, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus died for me so that I could live for you. 
And thank you for meeting my greatest need and saving me today. In Jesus' name I pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that you offer to us when we depend on you. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.